Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 210 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is a developer advocate who has consulted for customers in a wide range of industry sectors, including telecoms, banking, and insurance. He usually works on Java and Spring technologies with a focus on rich internet applications, testing, continuous integration, continuous development, and DevOps. And as well as a frequent conference speaker, he is also author of three books, including Learning Vardin and Integration Testing from the Trenches. So welcome to the podcast, Nicholas Frankel. Thank you very much, Phil, for this introduction. So Nicholas, could you perhaps tell us a little bit about your books, in particularly the Integration Testing from the Trenches? Yeah, of course. So this is my last book that I have self-published, and um, I decided to write it because I noticed that there was a lot of, let's say, misconceptions or, um, let's say, theoretical debates on the internet about integration testing. Actually, there are a lot of books about unit testing because uh, unit testing is pretty simple and the, the boundaries are pretty clear. But as soon as you start doing integration testing, like if you go beyond the unit test, then everything goes wild. There are a lot of option alternatives and People and let's say at least developers, they they like black and white, and in the integration testing, there are a lot of things context dependent. So yeah, I decided to write the book to uh, like go back to the roots of of what is in my mind integration testing, and afterwards how you what are the problems of integration testing and how you can do integration testing and cope with some of the problems, this kind of stuff. Yeah, and how long ago did you publish that? It must have been quite recent. Uh, actually, it's already a couple of years old, perhaps four years. Yeah, I think it's four years. Okay, and, and do you know how many people have actually um, read it or, or purchased it? I use LeanPub, so there must be like a couple of hundreds on LeanPub. It's available also as a hardcover book on Amazon, and for that, I have no clue. right okay that's fine and what we'll do we'll we'll include a link to it in the show notes page if anyone's interested in any of nicholas's books they'll be able to find it on the um show notes page on the website so nicholas can you perhaps tell us a career tip one that the audience may not know about and perhaps should the first thing is you know about the survivor syndrome like if you survive something and you behave in a certain way, then you think that your way was the only way and the best way. So I can share what worked for me. Um, I don't know if it will work for you. And then there are many, many. But I think the, the most important is do not be afraid to ask questions like why, how, but more, more importantly, why. I find that... As a junior developer, you don't want to look stupid, so you don't ask any questions. And so when you are given a task or whatever, then you take it 
And most of the time, you have no clue how to do it or why you should do it. Or perhaps you could have come up with better uh, solution than just writing code or whatever. So I think that the, the, the first reflex of any good developer or engineer should be to ask why. You know, three whys. The why and then why and then why. And then going back to the roots. Uh, also, sometimes it is just to say, oh, I don't know how to do that. Could you please help me or whatever? Yeah, so getting to the root of the problem and understanding what it is that you need to do. What you need to do, why you need to do it. Most junior developers, um, they are just sending out specification and just told, hey, write the code. In general, when you go out of school, well, depending on your country, but most of the time, you don't know about a lot of stuff. I've been there, I know. Like, I remember um, the first time um, I had to create a, a SQL query. I didn't know how to quote text, so I used double quotes. And of course, it didn't work. And then I asked a senior developer, hey, what's the problem? And he pointed it out to me. And now I, I will forever remember that, yeah, in, in SQL queries, you should use simple quotes. This is the, the stupid stuff to do is ask, uh, how can I do that? And then the next is when you, you build up a bit more confidence or you, you, you have improved your, your technical understanding of the stuff is to ask why. Because in general, um, there are a lot of ways to, to solve a problem. And perhaps the, the guy who hands you out the task, he didn't think about every way. And, and asking why is a good way to, to improve the general system and also your general understanding. So... If you are junior, don't be afraid to ask questions like how, why, I need help. Could you please help me? Exactly. Yeah, very true. So, Nicholas, can you tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? Yes. Yes, I can. I'm a teacher and I still tell it to my students because now it's super funny. Yeah, at the moment, it was not funny at all. At that time, we were doing DevOps before it was called DevOps. So basically, we had our server and we deployed in production. So it was an internal application, with, well, but still we had every every permission to do everything on the server. And so we were doing uh, Java developments and we were deploying our, um, I think it was a war at the time. And to deploy, we were using a GUI uh, application called WSFTP. The problem is that if you didn't configure it by default, every time you use WSFTP and every time you change directory to a new directory, then uh, WSFTP created a log file, WS underscore FTP dot log. I never checked what was in it, but there was this log file. So basically your, your folder structure was collateral with those files. And at one point I decided, uh, I want to remove them. So I, I thought I, I was very smart. And just a few days before, I, I was shown uh, the, the fine command. And not only the, fine, the, the Unix fine command, but how you can find dash exec. So you can recursively execute a command in a folder structure. And so I thought I was very smart. And I said, hey, I will use that. And then I will erase the WSFTP file like recursively in the whole folder structure. I don't know what happened. Probably I forgot a quote or something happened. And it removed every file, every one of them. And so it was very interesting to see the whole, the whole server getting erased in front of my eyes. Yes. And it was a production server. 
Um, it was on a Friday at the beginning of the afternoon. My manager um, was supposed to go to vacation. We wanted to do a production release. Well, uh, I mean, he went to vacation, but I had to push him and I told him I would handle everything. But of course, we didn't push the production this day. We had to restore from a backup and, and all the stuff that goes with that. So I felt not very comfortable, of course. I was like very, very ashamed. And in terms of what you learned from that, what, what do you do differently now? I would never, never write anything in production, whether a command line or code or whatever, without having thoroughly tested it before yep. on other environments. I never use the find, find dash exec again. That's because, <laughs> I mean, uh, I've been burned once. <laughs> now I, it's like for me the greatest evil in the whole universe. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, right. So moving away from your worst IT career moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? I mean, every time you deliver a project is a success. But what I still remember fondly about, it was a very small project. It was a simple application to schedule rendezvous um, like for an administration, and I was the architect, and there were two developers, and we had no real project managers. We were directly talking with the, the like the stakeholder, and it went so smoothly. I mean, I've been I've been working in like big enterprises of my life, so there were layers of management. You never saw the 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 customer, there were business analysts, one layer, sometimes two or three layers. I mean, it was like very small, very uh, humanly sized. So we delivered on time, on budget. And the most important moments was at the end, the developers, they demoed the application to the, to the product owner. And it was the first time in my life, the guy, he thanked them. Like the, the stakeholder... He thanked the developers. I've never seen it again. Right. Never. And for me, that's, that's, the biggest, that's the biggest achievement, that in the end, we could deliver something that the customer was happy about. Yes, oh, absolutely. That's obviously the, uh, the main goal of any delivery is to make sure that the customer is happy and what you deliver is actually a usable product. Yeah. In my experience, uh, it happens so rarely. So, of course... We delivered in many teams. We delivered and and we delivered sometimes on time or on budget or perhaps sometimes both. But that the stakeholder comes to you and thank the developers. I mean, I don't know, um, but in France, uh, it was in Switzerland. But in France and in Switzerland, the developers they are just the dirty details of the of the project. If uh, the customer is happy, he will perhaps thanks the managers or I don't know, but rarely the developers. And here, because we, we, we didn't have all those layers, all those proxies, then the stakeholder could really see who did the work. And it was really great. I was super happy for that. Okay, great. So, Nicholas, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? If you like to learn, it's an ever-changing world. If you are a developer right now, Let's say you are the, one of the master of the world. You can make things work together. You can integrate things together. If you are not happy about two systems, then you can just write code to make them talk to each other. And 
let's face it, uh, a lot of recruiters want you. A lot of recruiters want you. So if you like to code, if you like to understand how things work together, if you want to learn new stuff every day, and of course, if you uh, don't dislike money too much, there are every reason to be to be optimistic about about the future. Yeah, that's true. Um, in terms of technology and direction of, of the industry, is there anything that particularly interests you? I try to keep up with the backend. And right now, it's uh, how you, you deploy stuff. So basically, it's a lot about Kubernetes and Docker. I try to keep as many fingers uh, in as many pies as possible. So sometimes I, I still do still a bit of of development of the front end. I'm light years behind the, the best practices. Sometimes, like every few years, I try to check what has been done. Uh, honestly, on the front end, it changes so often that it's impossible. It must be your uh, a full-time job to do that. But every now and then, I try to, to check. So for example, right now, React, um, I, I didn't check yet. I will probably wait a bit until the dust settles. Like a few years ago, I, I tried to check how Angular worked, which was good because it's pretty similar to um, to what I'm doing in, in backend when I'm doing Java or Kotlin development. So I, I will wait a, f- a few years. But right now, yeah, like Docker and, and Kubernetes are the new deployment model. And it's very interesting to see how things are going in that area. We're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? I was a late bloomer, actually. I know a lot of people who had a computer at home since they were 10 and they coded since they were 12. And I had some experience with coding, but very, very like uh, few and far between. I uh, first started to study uh, physics. I didn't like it. So I went to architecture because at the time I uh, drew a lot and painted also a bit. And I still didn't like it. But in the architecture school, we had one course about ray tracing and um, not the 3DS Mac stuff with a GUI, but actually you had to define your scene by text files and defining all points in 3D. So you had to imagine the stuff in your head and then write it down. And it was very, very similar uh, to coding. And I spent a lot of time just for this course, although it was, it was not very uh, rewarded point-wise, but I spent a lot of time. And I think that that was really what triggered in me the, the, the desire to, to pursue career in IT and, and more precisely in development. The stuff still exists. It's called POV Ray. I didn't check it for, for like years, but when I ch- every time I check it, it's still there. So you can still use your like coding skills to, to write 3D scenes and to render them. It's, it's really cool. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? I think it was um, something about communication. At one point, I, I had an interview. It was not for a, like a simple developer role, but more like a transverse role to help other people. And the guy asked me a lot of stuff. Uh, how would you handle that? 
I listed everything I would do and he told me, but no, that's not great. Um, you listed a lot of stuff, but you listed everything is centered around you doing something. But there is something that's missing in all of that is basically communication. You never listed that you communicated what you did to other people. I didn't like the guy at all, but um, the, this is very, very important. I believe that, at least I believed when I was younger, that only because I was a good developer, then people would just praise me and I would get raises and, and every, everybody would just go to me and, and, and sing how good I, I was. Um, but nobody cares about that. If you don't communicate what you are doing, why you are doing it, and how it is better than other alternatives, then it, it just you are just like any other guy. Even if you have a huge impact on the project, nobody knows about it. So communicating is like unfortunately very important and something that most developers, most IT people don't know how to do because they don't like it. And Conversely, what is the worst career advice you've ever received? Um, that was when I started my career, I think. Yeah, I really I wanted to do coding, really. I, I really loved it. Um, so my first company was like, um, I, I don't know how it's called in English, but it, it's hire service hired company. So basically, your company hires you and then lends you to other companies and they get the difference from your salary and the, the money they get from from the, the customer. At that point, of course, all those people were focused on margins. So uh, they wanted to have the highest margin as possible. And it was like nearly 20 years ago. And the trend at that time was to outsource, like to outsource to, to India. And so the context is, I just started working. I loved what I did. I really wanted to be a good coder. And people told me, uh, you know, in five years, your job will be outsourced to India. You shouldn't stay a developer. You should go either go to management or be a, like a software architect. And right now, I'm super happy. I tried all the stuff. Um, I, I did software architecture. I, I tried also some management roles. But I'm super happy to, co to be coding still today. And the outsourcing movement was not the plague that was prophesized years ago. Yes, some companies do outsource in India, in China, in, in different parts of the world, but it's not a massive movement. And also there are like companies that get back from uh, outsourcing to insource again, because yeah, it's not for everyone. It won't solve all your problems. It's just that if you only want to check the finance part, then it's a really good idea. But if you want to have a working product in the end, then perhaps outsourcing is not the best idea in the world. So, Nicholas, if you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? I would try to do exactly the same. I was fortunate. I've been, I've been pretty lucky, I think. Working for a consulting company at the beginning is a very, very good way to be exposed to many different technologies, many different context, ways of working, customers, people who like in company A does things like this way and company B does things like that way. Then you can compare stuff and whether it works in which context. So 
Like at the beginning, it's really good to, to change customer every now and then. So consulting is definitely a good idea. And then afterwards, you can perhaps work on, on like longer lasting products and, and, and be more, more involved in the post stuff. But, um, but I think I would do the same. I mean, for me, it was just happens um, like an accident, but a good accident that I, I, I did that. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? I don't have that many objectives regarding my career. I mean, the world is changing and the IT world is changing like every year or so. So it's very hard to have like objectives, like in five years, I will be director or whatever. Besides, I don't like management so much. But uh, right now, um, I'm trying to invest into um, like being more comfortable with people going to conferences and not only doing talks, but trying to talk with people afterwards. I'm an introvert, but I've, I've been far worse before. And now I'm starting to get more comfortable to talk to, to people. And I'm trying to improve this side of, of my career because it, it's very important. I mean, gone is a time where you could just like work in your garage and develop the next windows. Now everything is a teamwork because yeah, that's the way the way the world is. And so like social skills are very, very important. And in order to develop your social skills, then you need to be less uncomfortable with people around you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? I think that uh I don't know if it's a skill, but um, I love to teach people. I love to mentor people. I love to uh, help other people grow. And so even before I started working, I, I taught. After the architecture school, I did an engineering school. And when I was a student in engineering school, I, I was like teaching in the architecture school, like 3D stuff. It helps you a lot because um, I really, really do believe that the best way to learn is to teach. Like in projects, you might like fix a bug and everything is fine, but you, you have no time to really go deep on why, why there was a bug and why what you did fix the bug. When you teach, you need to understand like deeper than what you are teaching because people will be asking you questions. So I think that the teaching can help you a lot. And I still do teaching today. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? Well, it helps me to have more social life, of course. And during that time, I read, uh, I read articles, I read books, I watch like videos. And I also not only like get stuff in because it's just otherwise it's just shallow understanding. But also, I try to do prototypes. I have my own blog. Um, I do talks at conferences. I try to, to every time to show demos on how things works. And that, that gets me to like understand how it is. And more importantly, as I mentioned before, I, I write about everything. So at first, my, my blog was just to, uh, it was just a, a notebook for stuff that I understood. So I could get back to it. And then afterwards, I published it and I, I realized that some people were interested in that. 
because hey, somebody probably will face the same problem as I did before. Now I have the solution. So it's like my own stack overflow that I, I, I can like open to everyone who is interested. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? I do a lot of sports. I mean, I'm at that age where if I don't do sports, uh, I get fat belly. Um, I already <laughs> have a fat belly. So I'm trying to keep it the light at this size. So, um, and also it's very good because um, I, I always, like when you work, you get a lot of stress and, and sport helps you like reduce the stress. And how many times, I don't count the number of times where um, I, I worked on a hard problem, I didn't find a solution, and then I just went running. And during the run, I found the way out because it's like there is like a hidden thread, a background thread when you, you, you worked enough time on a problem. Then it, it, it spins and, and you don't need to think about the problem anymore. Just do something else. And so... I run, I bike, sometimes I swim. In winter, I'm, I'm blessed because I'm living near the Alps, so I, I ski, and there are also a lot of hiking to do, and yeah, this kind of, of thing. Okay. And Nicholas, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT Career Energizer audience? Well, don't be afraid to fail. Just like, yeah, in the, in the beginning, I mentioned that you should ask questions, don't be afraid to ask questions, don't be afraid to fail. I think that in IT, um, failing is natural. You will fail a lot. If you don't try, you will never fail, but you will never learn. Like I'm French, and I, I'm afraid that French culture, in the French culture, it's socially awkward to be seen failing. So people go to a great length not to fail in public. But because they don't want to fail, they never try and they never take any risks and, and they never learn. So if you are not French, and especially if you are French, you should like fight this trend and, and, and try and fail. Of course, doesn't mean that you shouldn't, you should take any stupid risk. You should always understand the consequences of your failure and, and try to cope with them before. But uh, I think it's a really, really very, very good way to, to, to understand it's not only in IT. It can be like spread to uh, your own life, but that's philosophical de- a philosophical debate that I don't want to go into. But at least okay. in, in, in IT, <laughs> you can you can try and fail, and it's fine. There, there yes. won't be any, any big consequences. And Nicholas, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? Um, I. I use Twitter a lot. So I have a Twitter account and my Twitter handle is very easy. It's Nicholas underscore Frankel. Uh, my DMs are open. So if you if you have questions that I can help you with, then I will be happy to answer. Uh, you can read about my blog. I try to publish a weekly blog posts on, on Sunday evening and it's uh, https column dash dash blog dot and yeah, I think that's the, the main way you can interact with me. Okay. Nicholas, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks for the invite. And I've very, been very happy like chatting with you too. A quick thank you again to my guest on today's show for sharing their career tips, advice, and experiences. 
you'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e, and then the number of today's episode. Now that there are three new episodes of the show every week, make sure that you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss out. And don't forget to join the new IT Career Energizer community group in Facebook. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would be great to hear from you and to learn about your own career journey, your successes, opinions, and thoughts on the future of the industry. Thanks for supporting the show. And remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.